Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ben, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> oh, there you are. What's up, dude? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Never like a cough. Uh-oh. All right. I am out of here. See ya. Hey, wait. Come back. No way, man. <laughs> Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, April 14th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory. S-K-Y. Did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over $100 million from recreational cannabis sales? <laughs> As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention. It's June 10th through the 11th. Brought to you by NECAN, N-E-C-A-N-N. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult-use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, cultivation, and social justice. Featuring dozens of expert speakers, not Ben, he won't be there. (laughs) I don't think they asked him. Nobody asked me. Hey, tell us that story about the 70s. <laughs> Trying to look forward, you know what I mean? Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Ben, one more time. Uh, talk about how you got stoned to listen to Hendrix. <laughs> yeah. not, he's not going to be there, guys. Uh, so he may be there buying stuff. I don't know. But it's dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N dot com slash Illinois for information and to register. It is Thursday, April 14th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, KK or Double K or Keith Kelleher. And now your host, Ben, Chicago Raider <laughs> columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Laptop Thursday, and here's why. Because I got a laptop set up. Hooray! <laughs> 
I'm such a boomerlet. Please, you don't jinx this, but go ahead. No, I know. I know. I'm not, I feel like I'm jinxing it because I'm prepared, prepared to take this show on the road. i visiting my kids in uh, California next week, so we'll be doing this show from some closet in an Airbnb. The point is, this is what Dennis did to me today, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. I, I feel this is really, I feel this is like picking on old people. So what he did was... <laughs> It wasn't me. I wasn't picking on you. We were setting up a test to see if the laptop works. Okay? So, you know me. I'm your typical baby boomer. I'm worried. I'm scared. I pushed the wrong button. The whole thing's going to go down. And, ladies and gentlemen, you think I'm exaggerating about baby boomers? Dennis and I will not name names. But we've had a lot of baby boomer guests. And DJ Nate, we can bring him in on this, too. The look in the face of the baby boomers as they confront the technology of virtual interviews. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, I mean, we're not naming names, but we don't edit out much of these interviews. So, I mean, if you just listen, you can probably figure it out. Figure it out. And by the way, I don't say I'm better than any of them. Never said that. Never said I was better than any of these baby boomers. I have my issues. Oh, my God. Dennis can write a book about them. <laughs> but <laughs> so this come on, folks. This is like I think this is picking on old people day. Let's just this is this, this one. So we're setting up. We're doing a trial run. And uh, Dad, I can hear. Uh, Dennis, I said, can you hear me? And he nods his head and then starts talking and I can't hear him. I'm like, Oh no, it doesn't work. It's broken. My laptop is broken. Evacuate, <laughs> evacuate. And I'm like, no, no, Ben, no, please. <laughs> Don't jump out, out the window. He had his sound muted. Folks, I call that gaslighting when you talk into the microphone. And so one person could see your lips moving, but you can't hear anything. <laughs> Wait, did you anyway. say sound unit? <laughs> did I say sound unit? I don't know. I think you did. What is a sound unit? Hey, by, we, by the way, dude, we haven't done this gag in a line. The brown line is passing. Oh, hey, yeah. Oh. We got a good microphone where people can't hear it. Oh, that's right. Uh, Why well, bring back that gag? Holy cow. Those were the good old days, huh? Anyway, so uh, all's, all's well. My uh, laptop is working. But I just want to say, uh, got a great lineup of shows. Uh, today. I'm so excited about this. Keith Keller coming on. We're doing take a deep dive on unions. Uh, and then for the, I have back-to-back -back, uh, interviews for the weekend drops. Stacey Davis-Gates, love talking politics with uh, SDG. Uh, and then a, a, a rookie breaking in uh, to uh, the Ben Jarofsky show. Never before making her uh, Ben Jarofsky show uh, debut, uh, Maya Goldberg Sapphire. We're going to be talking about uh, Brittany Griner, uh, Greiner, excuse me, Brittany Griner, who's in uh, locked away in prison in uh, Russia. I'm uh, fascinated with that story. So, anyway, a lot to talk about. But I'll tell you what's on my mind right now, in addition to all that. And this is something that I've been, I wrote a column about. We've talked about it with guests. And I'm starting to think that Republicans are very successfully messing with our brains, not unlike uh, what Dr. D uh, did to me when he gaslit me. Just kidding. He was didn't do it on purpose, ladies and gentlemen. But or, here's, here's or did I or did I? Sorry. Oh, 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 oh my. Or did I? I'm not a doctor. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about gaslighting. You don't know what's real and what's not real. Huh? By the way, there's a movie coming out called Gaslit. Can't wait to see it about Watergate. <laughs> there's going to be like 10 people who see it, me and nine other people from the 70s. By the way, if I were, if I were to do a seminar uh, at that marijuana convention that uh, you just alluded to, if I were, if they were to invite me, that's songs to play air guitar to or listen to while stoned. 
No question about it. I could do a whole list. I, could you think they would invite me to a seminar in oh, that one? They're setting the culture back like 10 years. They're trying to move ahead from the getting stoned and air guitaring and Cheetos and shit. I'm just going to tell you guys right now, pound for pound, no doubt about it, the best song to listen to when you're stoned. And make sure you're listening to it with headphones. What's going on by Marvin Gaye? Try it tonight. You'll tell me tomorrow. Oh, my God, Ben, you're a genius. Yes. Anyway, where was I? Scared. Okay, yes, we're scared. And uh, baby boomers are very scared. You get that certain age of life, and all of a sudden you're just worried about everything. Anxieties kick in. You don't know. You know you're uncertain. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Well, I think the Republicans are very good at exploiting that. They get in the heads of Democrats. And and I talk about this. We have Sergio Vicente comes on the show, and he's an expert in mixed uh, martial arts. He's a former fighter himself. He follows the fight game, and so he he's really uh, knowledgeable about trash talking and how wrestlers and fighters uh, use trash talking to try to get in the heads of their opponents. And Republican Donald Trump was obsessed with wrestling. He, he knows about as much of it. He follows. He really closely follows wrestling. He, he learned this art. You know, it's used for comic purposes in pro wrestling for, to a large degree. It's scripted. But that art of getting into the just trash talking and asserting things, even if they're utterly ludicrous, like Donald Trump learned that in wrestling. And he does it all the time. And the one evidence was the one that I've been talking about uh, a lot lately. Uh, is the headline uh, that ran in the, the New York Times. I wrote a column about it. I talked about it with Elmarie Cobb. With the headline said that Republicans are going to take advantage of their performance in grilling uh, Justice uh, Brown Jackson to win over black voters, which is an utterly absurd contention to make since they were completely and totally offensive to a woman who's regarded as a hero by the overwhelming majority of black voters in this country. So it's absolutely outrageous to assume that any new votes will be picked up from what they did, new black votes. A complete outrageous assertion, yet they make it. And the New York Times writes about it and puts it in a headline. And baby boomers see that. Baby boomers who are Democrat, and they go, oh my God, no, we're losing again. And I'm like, I, I thought that was pretty outrageous, but it was followed up by this headline. I just saw this headline in yesterday's New York Times. Republicans see an opening as identity issues divide Americans. It's like an exact replica of Republicans see an opening by trashing Justice Brown Jackson. It's like absolutely <laughs> the same theme. I wonder, has the New York Times like had an editorial meeting where they said, you know, if we scare the hell out of baby boomers, they'll click on these articles. I, I mean, maybe there's a, like a, a commercial purpose to it to get more clicks. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, the notion is that being vile, being obnoxious, being cruel, it's going to get Republicans votes now. To the New York Times credit, unlike with the first headline, this headline didn't say Republicans look to gain votes with trans people by being utterly horrific to trans people, <laughs> which is what they do with the, the headline with black voters. Republicans will get votes from black voters by being horrific to black people. Well, that'll get you votes. So they, at least they didn't do that with trans, but their point there is that there's so many people in America who are afraid of this issue or scared of trans people that by being mean and nasty to them, 
you will get votes. So that's, uh, I guess, more in the ballpark of reality than being mean and nasty to black people and getting black votes. Just tell you about what a horrific party the Republicans are, by the way. You ever going to see a headline where Republicans are going to try to get votes by being human? How about that? Republicans are trying to get votes by showing compassion to people who aren't exactly like they are. What a headline. There's a headline for the New York Times. You're never going to see that one in a million years. Number one, because the Republicans will never do it. And number two, I don't think that'll get a lot of clicks. New York Times. Mm, every day there's some editor at the New York Times who wakes up and goes, how can I get some Democratic baby boomer in Chicago to click on this story? I know. I'll scare them. And by the way, this is not just the New York Times. D. I got to tell you this. The other day I'm driving in the car. Driving in my car. And I turn on the radio. And of course, me being an old baby boomer, I got to turn to the oldie station, which is like music one step away from a nursing home. Uh, that uh, you guys would probably never listen to, but I really enjoyed songs from the 60s. You know, the old good old days. So they're playing songs, and they have this new thing on this oldest station. I'm not even going to name the oldest station, mainly because I don't know the name of the oldest station, but it's it's the one where they play really old people's songs. So they're playing uh, the songs, and they had this new feature on this station, and I say it's new because it's I'd, relatively recently that I've heard it, uh, where there's news and I have news and quotes and they have some guy uh, with a radio voice D that the voice is trained. It was, it's like, he's tra- one of the most annoying radio voices I've ever heard. Like this kind of urgency to it. You know, D you, you went to radio school. So you know how they teach you how to like be on the mic with a kind of urgency that's trying to like pretend like grab the listener and kind of scare the listener, you know, sounds like a job I can do. Maybe I have to see if they're hiring. <laughs> Oh, dude, you could, the, the, man, come on. You could do this job in a heartbeat. You, I know that. I've been working with Dennis for five. D, D, you're way more talented than this dude. Okay, I'm just saying that. Dennis, you could scare the crap out of these people. Yeah, uh, scare the crap out of old people. Go, here's the news. And then this, this is the news, ladies and gentlemen. This is the, It's like one minute worth of news. This is the news. Uh, Billy Bob was shot in the head. He's dead. Meanwhile, in St. Louis, there's uh, this scandal where people are getting raped. And, th- and he kind of says it this way. This is kind of like how he goes. Uh, there's rapes. There's murders. A guy was shot in the head. That's our news. Meanwhile, weather, tornadoes, hail, storms coming. All right. This is the news I heard Tuesday about yesterday. I'm like, God, tornadoes, hail, storm. I'm scared. This plus the New York Times telling me that Republicans are making inroads with black people by trashing black people. I'm so freaking scared, D. Hiding under my desk. Uh, Yesterday came and went. Did you see any tornadoes in Chicago, D? I'm asking you. Did you see now? No, I did not. You know, and it's really windy today. It's really windy today. Yeah, it's today. Hello, Mr. Scary Radio Guy. Today is Thursday, not Wednesday. By the way, do you think the guy's going to have a correction? You know, when I make a mistake in a column, I have to write a correction. You think the guy's going to come on? Sorry about that uh, radio report yesterday. There were no tornadoes. I know I scared the hell out of you. Hell. And it, not just tornadoes, the hell, the hell, high winds, tornadoes. <laughs> and it wasn't like hail and high winds was enough. Then he had tornadoes in there. By the way, I've noticed this aggregators are starting to put the weather in. Have you noticed that, D? Like, you know, like people, I'm not naming names, but, you know, that they're like doing 
aggregation about politics. And then they throw in a weather thing. Ugh. Look out for tornadoes tomorrow. What? Why do you think I need you to tell me there might be tornadoes? You don't think everybody else is telling me? Everybody loves to tell you that a tornado's coming. You ever notice that? Ben, oh my God. Tornado come. Uh-oh. Doorbell. Like our guest has figured it out. <laughs> I think our guest may have figured it out. Okay. I got it. I got, got it. it. Let me tell I'm you something in. about our guest today, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, he may be a little of the baby boomer uh, persuasion, boomer. but he knows hot technology. He knows how to run, <laughs> handle an email link. Well, speaking of boomers, anyway. you were talking about the Beatles? I was talking about the Beatles? <laughs> yeah. Well, you were going to quote the Beatles. Oh! Uh, yeah, somebody's saying, I have a feeling to quote the Beatles, and then I'll bring on my guest. I have a feeling that there's a lot of money to be made out of scaring the hell out of people. Because then you get them to do things once you scare them. So anyway, that's my theory of the day. I'm going to turn things over to the le- legendary uh, union organizer, Keith Kelleher, a dear friend of mine and a good friend of this show. Uh, I think this is Keith's fourth visit to our show and you're not on enough and ladies and gentlemen he's gonna he's really modest he's of that generation where um, <laughs> organizers were taught to give all the credit to the people uh that uh they were organizing but this dude is really smart keith kelleher about organizing about unions about the games that employers play to undercut unions about the stuff that unions have to do to gain a foothold and then furthermore when you think it's over when you think you've won when you think you've had that vote to organize the union there's a whole series of games that you have to play even more hurdles it's never mm-hmm. over when it's over yeah. and you know what it's because they're so freaking cheap they don't want to give up a nickel of their money to that's anybody right. who works for it that's right amen to that <laughs> all right keith Kelleher. so uh before we take the deep dive uh into what's going on with amazon the tactics that the amazon employees use in staten island to organize a union and how the they what were successful in contrast to others uh just give folks a sense of your expertise in the area by talking about uh, your background and uh, the efforts you made to organize with SCIU. So just a little introduce yourself again uh, to our listeners to why they should listen to what you have to say, because you know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Okay. I um, been an organizer for almost 40 years. I started actually as a community organizer in Detroit and uh, then started doing labor organizing after I went through Acorn Community Organizer training. Uh, started with an independent union called United Labor Union. So I feel you know, simpatico with uh, our brothers and sisters at ALU. They are an independent union, as we were when we started. We were started by a community organization, ACORN, which is a national community organization that helped us form uh, almost 40 years ago. And then eventually we uh, affiliated with SCIU. We went from being the smallest union local in the city of Chicago in 1983. Well, let me first, in Detroit in 1980, I started organizing fast food workers, and we organized the Greyhound Burger King in downtown Detroit. We won the first union contract on a domestic um, fast food operation in 1980, uh, in 1983 at the Greyhound Burger King. We organized some other stuff too, but I'll get into that a little more on how they tried to bust the union and did bust the union. And then I went into organizing other low wage workers like home care and child care providers. And our union, which only had seven members in 1983, uh, now represents over 92,000 members and it's known as SCIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, and Kansas, or SCIU Healthcare for short. And um, so I've got a lot of experience in the public and private sector organizing workers that a lot of people thought there's no way 
they should have a union, or even worse, these workers don't deserve a union, or even worse than that, these aren't real workers. You know, they took this paternalistic attitude that fast food workers, oh, they're just doing it for pin money and gas money uh, until we showed that actually, no, these were working people <laughs> whose minimum wage paycheck is helping a family uh, or single parents who are helping to raise their children. Uh, so in all of the organizing I've done, just like with Amazon, they tried to denigrate um, the leader, uh, Christian Smalls, by saying that uh, he's inarticulate and that I uh, tried to make him the enemy of the organizing drive and it blew up on them because in fact, he was very uh, uh, smart and a very great organizer. So um, they be, he beat him. <laughs> so, so that's my experience in All building right. a union from seven members to over 70,000 and now representing 92,000. So a driving force to organize a union uh, like the Amazon uh, workers uh, in in Staten Island, where they were successful. What's essentially the driving force that propels uh, workers to finally take that deep, big step and organize? Well, in this in this drive, and again, I've never spoken to these workers. I'm just going by what I've read about it. It seemed to me that the issues were just so strong that Amazon was such a scuzzbag employer that they, you know, they couldn't take bathroom breaks. You know, they paid, even though the wages were a little higher, the only reason they paid that high was because the minimum wage in New York is 15, thanks to a campaign run by the community groups, NYCC and others there that actually forced corporations to pay 15 and Amazon went a little above it. But you can't live, uh, I think they're making 18, between 18 and 20, you can't try living on that in Chicago, not to mention New York. Uh, So, well, they thought they were being beneficent employers. The workers were like, no, <laughs> no way. You know, so I think on the drive, on this drive, it was the lack of respect. It sounds like the way they were treated and it sounds like the money and it sounds like the way, uh, the speed up on the line that, uh, I think Christian small said that he sort of blames himself a little because the goal at that time was to move, I think 280 products an hour. And he was doing 400 because he was such a good worker. So what the company then did was ratchet everybody up to 400, you know? Uh, so he was sort of blaming himself for being such a good worker that it backfired on him that they um, raised the race on everybody and forced a lot of people out. So those kind of issues where they have speed up, lack of dignity and respect, um, low wages, it all just came together. Uh, and the fact that the workforce was a very diverse workforce, you know, and that the boss, uh, Jeff Bezos, is not. All right. Uh, and uh, so when you begin the organizing efforts, what's the first obstacle you clear in terms of the arguments that uh, the employer makes to dissuade employees to join up? Well, uh, in this uh First of all, according to the National Labor Relations Act, you have to get 30% of the workers to sign a card. That then triggers an election. Well, it triggers a hearing first. You go to the hearing. Then if the labor board and the employer and everybody comes to an agreement in the union and the workers, then they hold an election, okay? Now, most workers uh, will not, and most unions will not go with a 30% showing of interest because they know during that eight to 12 month or eight to 12 week organizing drive, if you're lucky, 
it's only eight to 12 weeks. The company will delay and delay and delay. They will force people out. They will interrogate. They have, I don't know if you read, but we ran into this with McDonald's and Burger King. They have on call these former special forces, psychological operations people. I mean, these are not nice people, you know, and they come in and they systematically do psychological profiles on every worker. And many times they have it in their files already because to get a job at a lot of these places, you have to go through all these battery of tests, you know, and they have it all computerized of like, what's your weak point? What's your strong point? Are they pro-union? Are they anti-union? You know? And uh, so that's what they do is they then will spend all that time interrogating and showing uh, union, anti-union movies, having what's called captive audience meetings where they force people to come in. You have to show up to the meeting. You cannot not go to the meeting. They will pay you, but you have to go and sit there for hours and hours of meetings. And they show these movies about union strikes, where there maybe have been some picket line violence or something, and they'll have interviews with workers claiming the union started all this violence, things like that. They just... uh, have very um, sophisticated methods to work on people to get them to switch from being a yes to a no. Again, that's if you go through the NLRB process, in which in this case, in Amazon, they did. They chose to go through the NLRA. Well, wait, time out. What other process is there? Well, actually, before the National Labor Relations Act, and even right after the National Labor Relations Act in its first 10 years, they were actually encouraged, employers were encouraged that if the majority of the workers signed a petition or signed a card saying, we want a union here, that you should sit down and bargain with your union. That was the standard. If the workers showed a compelling interest, a compelling evidence, which in the form of a petition, in the form of a signed card. So if you got a majority, 51%, 50 plus, 50% plus one actually is what it is. If you got 50% plus one to fill out a a petition or sign a card, the employer was then encouraged to sit down and bargain a contract. But then there was a, you might've heard this law. I don't, if I'm getting too legal, tell me. In 1947, when the Republicans took over the U.S. Senate and House after World War II, after Roosevelt died, they passed a thing called the Taft Labor, I'm sorry, the Taft-Hartley Act which uh, President Truman at the time called it the Slave Labor Act, which meant that (laughs) it it instituted this process of elections, right? And now there were elections before, but they were, you know, quick elections. They weren't like given three months, six months to beat up workers during an election drive. These were quick elections before the uh, Taft-Hartley but now Taft-Hartley set up this whole mechanism where you had to get the card signed, then you had to go and then you had to have a meeting. Okay, is this worker in what's called the bargaining unit? No, that worker is not in the bargaining Well, you could imagine if you've ever been in a, a trial or anything like that or been in court or watch it on TV, they're just going through making argument after argument of why people should, should and should not be in the unit those kind of legal delays. And this is all done just so you know, by these union busters and these lawyers who are paid, you know, they're like $500 an hour, you know, at least some of them a thousand dollars an hour. Then they get all expenses paid. Some of them are so confident they'll win that they tell the company, we won't uh, charge you until the union loses, you know, and then they'll charge you big money. But in the case of Amazon, just last year alone, just Amazon alone spent $4.2 million 
on anti-union busting management consultants, slick attorneys and their consultants, many of them, like I said, trained psychological warfare people from the U.S. Special Forces, to intimidate and to beat up either psychologically, um, any way they can, the workers for that eight to 12 week drive, which is amazing to me that um, Christian Smalls and his folks on the job took on that head on and beat them at their own game, going against a lot of labor union orthodoxy, organizing orthodoxy. They filed, if you read, they filed with just over 30% of the workers. <laughs> Many people would say, that's insane. Why did you file with other? Because they knew, they were in touch with the workers. They knew once it got to a vote, they could win it. Uh, by the way, among the people who said that was insane and crazy may have been Keith Kelleher. In yes. With me. Uh, oh, I didn't mean to reveal that, Keith. I was, uh, I was one of them. Like, yeah, you were one of them, man. Uh, of them. And you're happy you're wrong. Uh, and yeah. also, Keith was speaking metaphorically when he talked about beating people up. He right. was not saying in any way uh, that Jeff Bezos' uh, consultants were physically beating up the workers. So this, I'm just uh, clarifying what he was saying. He was speaking no, just mentally. They're just mentally beating them up. Mentally, yes. And psychologically. Keith's a bit of a poet. You don't know if he's talking about it for us. All right. Uh, so, all right. So we now know what the, uh, how management responds, uh, the arguments that they make, and the tactics they take. And they say, uh, as you pointed out, uh, that you will, um, we, the union will be an impediment uh, between your good relations with the boss. Right. Uh, and the union will take money from you uh, in terms third of party. You're a third party. Third party, yes. Third party, we have this great relationship now between me and you, John. You can come into my office anytime. You want more hours? I'll get you more hours. You want this? <laughs> That's how we are. Open door. That's how I've been at Amazon for many years. Those are the kind of arguments that they'll use, yes. right? And they'll just say, no more. Hey, and they'll work on family connections, right? A lot of times family live in a, you know, work, you know, Bob got his brother a job or whatever. Hey, your brother, Bob, he's on third shift, right? Wow. You know, now I can't guarantee that Bob will be on third shift. I can't guarantee once the union comes in, I can't guarantee how many hours you're getting. You're doing well now, but, or if you ask me for more hours, I can't give you more hours because the union. So everything is the union is preventing me to be a big, be a good guy and, and then threatening you and your friends and your relatives. If they also work on the job or your coworkers, that everything will be changed once the union comes in. They also do these other tricks. I'll just throw this one in. They'll take uh, out of your paycheck, they will take like a year's worth of dues or, a, or um, a month's worth of dues or two months or three months. And they'll give you an envelope and it'll have your check. And I don't know if they did this at Amazon, but this is very common. You get your check on payday, you open it up. Now these days, again, everybody gets it you know, on their phone or whatever, right? You open it up and you're expecting... 400 net, 300 net, whatever. And you see, what's this? I only got $50 net. Then they send you another message or they give you a second check with a message attached to it that says, if you have a union, this is how much your dues will be. You keep this money and go buy groceries for your family, you know, go to a movie, whatever you want to do with it. If you have a union, you will not be getting the same because so much will come out in dues. They don't say what the dues is. They don't tell you know what I mean? They just, and so of course a worker 
gets their check and says, what is this? And then they get a second check that says, this is your money now. Not being told that that was like six months worth of dues or whatever, or, you know, it's just <laughs> bricks yeah, like man. that. You know, they have raffles, they have games. When I organized the McDonald's, they brought in Ronald McDonald to, um, at a big party downtown and bust all the workers in 150 workers from three different stores. And they had a McRaffle. Nobody got less than 50 bucks. This is in 1980. 50 bucks in 1980 is like what? 250, 500 today. No one got less than that. Some people got more and the company, we filed labor charges later. The company said, Oh, we had a round. We always do a round. It was a party. You know, we did a party for the workers, you know, and they had to, um, you know, uh, give uh, money back later down the road. They maybe lose the labor charge in six months, a year, two months after you file a charge against them after the fact when McDonald's did that. But they would rather do that. And even though they know there could be violating the law and uh, have gimmicks like that, parties, raffles, paycheck tricks to beat the union drive right now. And then, yeah, if somebody files an unfair labor practice charge against it, which is a charge, if you believe the company is violating the law during a campaign, you can file what's called an unfair labor practice charge. If you believe you've been, if they find evidence that there was, it takes them six months, a year, two years, and then they have to pay $10,000. Maybe, you know, they would rather risk losing the charge down the road than they, than um, violating the law now. All right, uh, Keith, you you know these things better. What's that called? The businesses where they spend money up front and figuring they save it on the back end or make it up on the back end. There's a a a, a, a term. Do you know what I'm, do you know the term I'm talking? about? Well, it doesn't matter. All right, I thought you would know it because uh, you're front load, front load. No, you front. I, no, it'll come to me at like an hour. I'm, I'll be doing my next maybe, interview. Maybe it's capitalism. Capitalism. It's capitalism. capitalism. <laughs> I capitalism. know my listeners. That's it. I know there's listeners out there who are hearing this when it comes out. Oh, Ben, the term is blah, blah. <laughs> It'll pop into my head when I'm doing my next interview about Brittany Griner. And, you know, it won't be relevant to that interview. Anyway, you spend money up front to save mm-hmm. on the back end. Yeah. Okay. So like advertising is a classic case. You spend mm-hmm. money up front on advertising because mm-hmm. you're going to bring in more money uh, on the back end. All right. And money to make money. Yeah. So in this case, they're spending money. Just think mm-hmm. about what you just said. They were mm-hmm. literally giving money away at these raffles. Mm-hmm. You got to spend them, but in the case of Amazon, four point one million to the consultants for this right. one warehouse, ladies and gentlemen. It's just mm-hmm. one warehouse, Staten right. Island. All right? right, we're not even talking about the one in uh, Alabama where right. they had a. All right, so they're spending money. I got to believe that uh, they have figured out how much money they're going to quote unquote save. By spending this money, by defeating the union. Do you understand right. what I'm just saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. So is that what's driving them or is it just a psychological thing? I'm not going to let Keith Kelleher, this hippie radical. I think, I think it gets down to um, power. You know, it really gets that they, they, they do not want to give any of their power away. They do not want to have their management rights, as they call it, um, in any way violated in their point of view. Right. So by going with this union, uh, that is not only um, going to take away their power, but that's how they also work the supervisors against the union, more importantly. So your day-to-day supervisor, they, the union busters call them into their offices and they say, this is a reflection of your management. 
And if this union wins, that's a reflection that you have done something stupid to allow this union to win. And so you are going to be our, you know, for lack of a better word, front line to take this union on. And you need to talk to every one of your workers. And then they'll have the union busters work with them, sometimes sit in them, many times sit in the meetings and coach them on everything that they can say that is skirts the law, maybe even is lawful, but not moral, and in order to beat the union drive. Wow, that is what they call a Machiavellian mind. Yes, uh, the word gets with absolutely. An if it. anybody wants to read a book, it's called Confessions of a Union Buster. I think the guy's name is Le- Levin. The Confessions of a Union Buster by a guy who was one of the best union busters in the country until he sort of had of a, a change of heart in the 80s or 90s, and he wrote this book. Yeah, It was a bestseller. Uh, it's, uh, and, and it, he goes through, this is how we did it. Yeah. You know, it's like the song amazing grace was written by a, uh, mm-hmm. a, a slave trader. Yep. You know, and he saw him one day, he just said, Oh my God, what have I done with my life? What am I doing? Uh, I'm not saying that union busting is as bad as slavery, but that I'm making, uh, I'm feeling my inner poet as well and doing a metaphor. Um, all right. So this is the games that, uh, the employer will play play Mm -hmm. in order to save money uh, on having to negotiate contracts with the union, save time on that. And also just from this sense of power struggle. And Mm -hmm. folks don't, I'm not kidding. These guys see some guy like Keith Kelleher coming at them and their attitude is like, I'm not going to let this punk beat me. Who the hell is Keith Kelleher? I'm going to mop the floor with him. Mm -hmm. And there's that too, ladies and gentlemen, don't Mm -hmm. kid yourself. All right. And they've really felt that with my humble opinion from reading from afar with Christian Smalls. Yeah, they total character, total character assassination. Yeah. They tried to accuse him of being a thug. I mean, you know, what racist crap is that? You no, know but what they, I mean? he, he's not like, who is he? You know what I'm saying? Who yeah. is this guy? Yeah. I don't even know if he had a college education. Right. You know what I'm saying? Who is he to tell me? You know, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. So what can the union say? What can union organizers, what can the Christian Smalls or the Keith Kellehers of the world say to counteract the things that the union, uh, that the employers are doing to undercut the union? Well, I mean, in, in my experience over the years, it's that you have to act like a union even before you get officially, quote unquote, recognized by this election process, that you have to say we are a union under the law. If you want to have a union, it's just you and one other person. You can have a union. That's what the law says, period. That's it. Okay. But so many people, and some unions are guilty of this, have to see that they have to go through this NLRA process, this NLRB process in order to be uh, recognized. And to their credit, like Christian Smalls, they were acting like a union way before they even filed. I mean, if you remember, the first thing that sparked it is he organized a walkout because of the COVID numbers were going up in this Amazon warehouse and management was like, Oh, you know, everything's fine. You know, I don't even need a mask and all this other crap. Right. And they were saying, no, this is bullshit. You know, I'm going, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to say that? I'm sorry. No, you but, can say what you want. It's a podcast. Okay. okay. <laughs> so they was like, this is bullshit. You know, I'm going through this thing, you know, and they did this walkout, yeah. you know, and they got press coverage and all that. And then they tried to discipline them for it. Well, many not many, but some workers would just sort of like, oh, shit, I got fired. Oh, my God. Da, da, da. Christian Small, these folks were organized and they were, it seemed to me, 
at least one step ahead of the management in that they filed a labor charge when they did it. They kept organizing on the job. They won the labor charge that not only said, yes, they violated the law, but they have can have access to the cafeteria in the place. So every day they were there doing something. And eventually, I believe, from what I, they had a GoFundMe account that they raised $120,000 on a GoFundMe account, and Chris Smalls, I think it was his aunt, <laughs> cooked the food that they brought into the plant, and not just his aunt's food, but they had all different types, because, you know, you have, this is a United Nations warehouse, right? You have, I don't know all the ethnic groups, but they listed in some of the articles, you know, Somali, you know, African-American, Latinx from Central America, from South America, from Mexico, you know, you had people from all over, recent immigrants and sort of uh, folks who, you know, are just looking for a job, right? And they played to all of that and their leadership reflected that. Their folks on the inside, they built an organization before the union election. So they had people in every um, part of the warehouse, you know, they had people in shipping, they had people in incoming, they had people, and that's how they did it. Again, I'm just reading from afar. I've not spoken to them. I've not, I've only read a couple of articles about it, but from what it sounds like is they were singing my song, which I have always said that you have to act like a union. Even if the company doesn't recognize you as a union, that in many ways doesn't matter, (laughs) you know? We are, we decide if we want a union, the workers in a plant or the workers who do home care or the workers, we decide we want a union. And if you move forward, there are certain protections under the law, which they used very skillfully and they used direct action. They didn't like write a letter to their congressperson. Gee, this, you know, not that letter writing is bad, but you know, (laughs) geez, this guy is, you know, Amazon is being unfair to us. They're like, we're walking out, you know, and they did it with press and they used the internet, they used um, social media and they got the word out that this job is insane, that this job is shows a lack of respect to workers, that they not only pay low wages, but this, the richest corporation in the world that is making money off of COVID and off of the COVID pandemic is not allowing their workers a break or to wear a mask or to keep distance or anything. No COVID protections, not to mention, you know, uh, not only masks, but uh, other, you know, hand washing, other things like that. And they, they went out on that issue and they had overwhelming public support, right? Company came back, tried to fire him. He fought it. And then they also won this ability to be in the cafeteria, which helped them immensely during the organizing job. That's amazing. It came down to something like that, getting to the cafeteria and having to fight to get to the cafeteria, having to fight uh, mm-hmm. to have just a, a fraction of the mm-hmm. advantage that the management has, which can compel workers to show up for these uh, hearings, these meetings, I should say. Uh, all right. So let's get to what's next. Okay. And uh, Keith, I, I'm a, 
you probably noticed by now, having known me for a while, big basketball fan. And so last night I was watching the play-in basketball games. It was uh, spirited games to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. There was a showdown between the San Antonio Spurs uh, mm-hmm. and the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Good game, and the Pelicans were victorious. And when that game was over, the Spurs had been eliminated from the playoffs and had to go home, and the Pelicans advanced. Greg Popovich, who's the coach of the San Antonio Spurs, Keith, he walked over to Willie Green, who's the coach of the New Orleans Pelicans, and I watched this. It was on TV. I'm not making this up. Shook his hand, hugged him. You could see, read the lips. Congratulations, Willie. You guys mm-hmm. did a great job. I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. That is what we were taught. Mm-hmm. You, look, you play the game. You lose the game. Good sportsmanship. You hand out, you say, good luck. Uh, Jeff Bezos did not call Christian Smalls when that election was over. When Christian Smalls was victorious in that election, when he was Willie Green and the New Orleans uh, Orleans Pelicans to Greg Popovich's San Antonio Spurs, Jeff Bezos was not as gracious. He did was not the class act that Greg Popovich is. Mm -hmm. He has still resisting that. It'd be like if Greg Popovich said, no, I insist that we have another quarter. Mm-hmm. I don't like that call in the third quarter. He was like Bill Lambeer. He was like, look, big cry baby. You know, that's all he was doing. You know, Wow. Keith shows a little knowledge of basketball back little. to the days when he was in Detroit. Lambeer. What a Goes baby. out and starts killing people because he's losing, right? No, Billy Bear walked off the court without shaking Michael Jeffrey Jordan's that's hand it. in that's 1991. That's, that's, that's what he did. All right. So uh, what, instead of uh, calling uh, Christian Smalls and graciously conceding and saying, what can we do uh, to accelerate this process of setting up a union or uh, negotiating a contract, what have you, what, uh, what is the reaction of Amazon to the victory of the workers? Amazon has now said that we are going to fight this election and started accusing the labor board of being preferential towards unions and started making all these charges uh, that they are going to take to the labor board and said that they are not going to just give up and sit down and negotiate, even though that's the whole reason you have an election is that once the workers win, you sit down and negotiate. But you have this thing in labor law, which, by the way, in labor law, just so you know, there's no, no such thing as perjury. You can perjure yourself and not be called into account for it. Don't ask me why. Wait, but, time out. What, what do you mean? What's the practical implications of that? What do you mean by that? Like That if that you lied there? about your company or if you lied... Uh, about, let's say, the number of, this is, I think Amazon did this, they lied about the number of employees on their list, right? In order to make the list so much bigger that the workers couldn't even get 30%. I had this happen a lot to us in home care drives. The employer will say, oh, well, they only brought 150 cards. We have 1,000 employees, so they didn't even get the 30%. I see. And so then they give you doctored lists of people <laughs> who worked over the last year, right, for the company, and they say, well, we do consider these regular employees they're still on our list well but they're not working now <laughs> you know they just use it so that they jacked the list up so that they didn't have enough a percentage and then the union has to go out again and get the cards again right so, so that was the perjury you you can't it's right so if you said hey look if the labor board said listen we just proved that you didn't do that we just subpoenaed your stuff and you proved you didn't do that they can't go after them for lying got it there's no and, perjury and, and, if it was a lawsuit, uh, a civil lawsuit, they could. 
I guess. I don't, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, thank God. Well, I mean, just just imagine if Jeff Bezos was uh, doing a transaction with Elon Musk. Let's just say this, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, Elon Musk right now is spending billions. I don't know if you follow this stuff. Billions to buy uh, Twitter. Twitter, yeah. Yeah, so that's a whole other story. I could talk an hour on that. Let's not. Let's so focus and discipline that. So let's say Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are having contract negotiations. And mm-hmm. in the con, in, with lawyers, okay, to make a uh, one buy is what Elon Musk is buying something from Jeff Bezos. And in the con, uh, in the uh, context of that negotiations, Elon Musk lies under oath to Jeff Bezos. Right. Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. that's, that's lying yeah. under oath. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, this is what I'm saying. There's two Not in the labor board. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Not in national labor rules, relations. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and that, you know, workers think like like Jeff Bezos would ever go into negotiation without a third party representat- representation. Right. You're kidding yourself. They got lawyers up the now, wazoo. Remember the, remember the history, too, right? This is Republicans passed. Not that, yeah. not that the Democrats are so great because many of the Dixiecrats. The Southern Republic of uh, Democrats went for this law, too. That's how it passed. Right. Yeah. Uh, Truman vetoed it. And the Congress overrode his veto with Democratic votes and Republican votes. Yeah. Right. So they wrote this law and they kept perjury out of it. Not like perjury would help you so much anyway, but it just shows you how they I got you know, it. It would disempowered workers to these. I'm sorry. It would help you right yeah. now. Uh, more often than not, uh, a cr- uh, a Trump administration official is facing charges from the feds for perjury, for lying to an FBI agent, mm-hmm. not, <laughs> right. not what, whatever, you know, <laughs> cut the deal, squeezing Ukrainian president, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to do right. dirt at Joe Biden's son. No, that's not <laughs> what's the best. Uh, all right. Uh, so, so they, so, okay, go back to my uh, point. So they so, said, we're, we're going to fight this election. Right. I mean, they didn't say it like that. Say, we believe that there are some irregularities and blah, blah, blah in the they call it, by the way, just so you know, they call it the laboratory conditions that there should be laboratory conditions that workers should be free to decide in laboratory conditions. And we believe that those conditions were not met is what I've read that they've said and that they are going to appeal. And so what they will do is they will appeal. And I've had this happen, for instance, in home care, when I started first started uh, organizing home care workers, what they said in the private sector was that actually even we won the election. They said during the lead up to the election at the labor board hearings, well, we don't really think that these workers are our employees. We think that the employees, since we get money from the state and federal government, we think that we are actually co-employees that yes, we cut their checks, but the um, conditions and regulations of our, our contracts with the state and federal government is that we have to do this. We have to pay them so much. We have to follow the unfair, uh, we have to follow the National Labor Relations Act. We have to follow all these. So in effect, they're really setting the conditions of employment, not us. So they say really in effect, these are co-employees, not our employees and co-employees, just so you know, Ben, have no rights under the National Labor Relations Act to organize a union. Damn. So they're in this gray netherworld between, according to the company, right? And it took us three years, four years to prove that actually no, these are the employees, and eventually at the national le- level, the labor board uh, 
voted in our favor. They then, then hold on, not only the labor board. So you have to go to the regional labor board first, right? We won that. Then you go to the national labor board, right? Then we won that. Then you go, then they can go into appellate court and say, well, we're going to appeal the decision of this labor board in court. And then if they lose in the appellate court, where do they go, Ben? Supremes. The Supremes. That's right. Wow. And who's on the Supreme Court? Clarence right Thomas. Chitty <laughs> <laughs> Thomas. Uh, no, Kavanaugh. What, oh, yeah. you know. Kavanaugh, man. He's no joke. Kavanaugh, what you, what's all, all, you know, the all, whatever the other ones are, you know. Um, yeah. Neil Gorsuch and yeah. the most recent one. Stamble, so they no. have the majority, right? Yeah. And so they're just looking for cases like this, right? Because they want to set new precedent, just like they want to take away a woman's right to choose, right? They are going to try to do the same thing with this. Um, so they'll take this all the way to the Supremes. Yeah, and it could go, you know, for years, right? Yeah. But, again, uh, that's the worst case. I'm hoping that that's not what happens because I think – if Christian Smalls and his um, organization and his leadership within the plan keep doing what they've been doing, I think they can beat them. Right. Even if it goes to the Supremes. Yeah. Like for instance, when these companies went to the Supreme court on us, right. Or in the case of the state of Illinois, we had 2000 home care workers work for the state of Illinois. We filed for the election. They came back and said, well, They used the same argument, except they said that we are the co-employees of these folks with the consumer who receives the service. So that person who is a home care client who is either um, uh, differently abled or a senior citizen, that they are the employer along with us. So that's a co-employee situation. And by the way, they're not covered under the Fair Labor Standards Act. And by the way, all these workers file 990 forms, and so they're independent contractors. And as independent contractors, they are not allowed to organize under the Fair Labor Standards, under the National Labor Relations Act, right? So they use any argument, right? Even though they know it's, even if they think it's bullshit, right? Even though they know it's wrong, they just use it to delay, delay, delay. And then they take their time. And in McDonald's, they used to have a phrase, they would concentrate on the pro-union workers, force them out. They would cut people's hours, force them out, bring new people in. And what they called it was grinding them out. Wow. Just like they grind out hamburgers. hamburger to make hamburgers, they ground out the workers and they pushed them out. And they ground them out until they turn over the whole workforce, right? Now, to their credit, to get this far, Christian Smalls and the ALU, and the, I think they are also called the Congress of Essential Workers, is also part of their other superstructure of other essential workers they're helping organize, that they have been acting like a union. They did a walkout. Many unions would not do that. They wouldn't have started with a walkout, right? Mm-hmm. They kept organizing on the job. They did stuff in the cafeteria every week. They provided food. They did other actions. They filed unfair labor practice charges, right? There's a lot of other things you can do. What we did is we started filing anything and everything that we thought was in a violation. We meaning the workers who work there, right? Workers are getting paid a dollar an hour because they were not workers. They were not employees. They were officially independent contractors, right? Even though the minimum wage was 335. Well, how can you do that? 
Well, it's legal if you're an independent contractor. You can pay sub-minimum wage to an independent contractor if they agree to take that wage. It's a total farce that when you got hired at this, this was a state agency, you were forced to fill out a 990 form and agree that you will get 335 for some of your hours and a dollar an hour for your other hours. So we then filed charges in the, under the Fair Labor Standards Act that this is a violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act. We filed charges on overtime that people were working five, 10, 15 hours overtime. They didn't pay you when you travel between two consumers, right? Well, that's illegal. You're on the clock, right? They tried to say, oh no, but they're not working. They're just traveling. Under the Fair Labor Standards Act, you have to be paid. You take any labor law there is and you organize around it, right? And we didn't just file the charges. We walked into the company's office with five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 workers. We had the press there. You know, again, just like Christian Smalls, right? By doing that over a course of months and years until you won the NLRB decision, right? Or until you had the power to change the law, which we eventually did in Illinois. It took us 20 years, by the way. We kept marching on the state, on the local government, on the city council, passing living wage laws that everyone should be paid $7.60 instead of the $5 Minimum wage. Everyone should get some. I'm sorry. The lowest change under which uh, governor in Illinois? Which one? Blago, wasn't it? Yes, under Blago. I I, I meant which law was changed, yes. What we were able to do was to uh, get a bipartisan vote in the state legislature. I think there were three state reps and two state senators voted against it. Because we had built such an organization statewide, in state rep and state senate districts pushing these state reps and senators to change the law and allow these workers to have a union. Yeah, that's the law I was talking about, yeah. Yes, and so they changed what was called the State Labor Relations Act, SLRA, I think it's called, and they changed the law to allow these workers to organize. And it was two of the biggest union elections ever in Illinois history, one for the uh, home care workers, and the second one was the child care providers. The child care providers voted overwhelmingly for a union in 2005 and then got their first contract in 2006. The home care workers voted overwhelmingly. I'm sorry, they, theirs was through direct recognition. They showed a majority of the cards mm-hmm. to, the la- to the labor board, and then they agreed to recognize the union. Yeah, so. It was Blago. Let's it was give Blago. Uh, and right, the exactly. Guy, the guy's lost his mind yeah. uh, in the last year or so with his love for Trump, but uh, mm-hmm. he, I always give him credit for that. Uh, all right, Blago. See, I haven't forgotten. But even in the private sector, those are public sector. Even in the private sector, we were able to do that too with the private sector agencies. Mm. We outlasted the agencies. So if an agency was um, violating the law and trying to say, oh, no, we don't think these are our employees, we just kept slamming that agency. And eventually... One of them actually lost their state contract, and we moved those workers from that agency into the unionized companies. All right. So, now, anyway, let, let me move back to the Amazon okay. issue here. Okay. Uh, I sent you this clip. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it. Uh, I've talked about it a lot in the show. So I'm going to uh, tell you what's on it. Uh, Jim Cramer, uh, who is oh, yeah. a talking head on uh, CNBC, giving advice on the stock market. Uh, <laughs> has apparently swallowed the Kool-Aid. Uh, <laughs> and he went on this rift. Uh, where um, he was saying that 
unionizing unionization attempts at Amazon and Starbucks will destroy those companies mm-hmm. because it'll deprive the leaders of those companies of the freedoms they need to make the decisions they have to make in order mm-hmm. to prosper. And that if a worker, if you can't dictate to a worker exactly when he works, uh, what hours he works, uh, that is all chaos and you will not be able to make money. And I'm listening to this uh, on several levels in utter disbelief because mm-hmm. uh, Jim Cramer's roughly my generation. Mm-hmm. So we were born in the fifties and I think the labor pool was roughly 40% union back then. I don't yeah. somehow or other. Yeah. Somehow or other, the economy How did that happen? was booming. How did that happen? I mean, come With on. All those Jimmy unions Kramer. are running around. What have you been drinking, dude? Come yep. on, man. And by the way, let's work on those stock predictions. Okay. Stop worrying about the Amazon and start working about your uh, portfolio. All right. Here's my question to you. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were here. Jimmy Kramer say that. And they're like nodding their heads. Yep. You know that, and you probably talk to people. You probably talk to workers sure. that say, uh, "Keith, you don't understand. If I don't mm-hmm. let Howard Schultz determine ours, poor Howard Schultz won't be able to run a com- company." So, what's your response? I haven't heard that yet. Okay, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> Not about Howard, but yeah, I've never heard that. Yeah, there but, is there is ahead. this popular uh, economics that is just wrong, right? So here's one of them that's wrong. Here's the first one. If you raise the minimum wage, people are going to lose their jobs. People are going to lose their jobs. Employers aren't going to be able to pay everyone $15 an hour. So they're going to lay off people. And so, yes, some people will get $15 an hour. And then they blame you and say, you're hurting the exact same people. You're trying to help. You are hurting them by raising their wages. You do-gooders going out there and raising their wages and it's total bullshit. Yeah. That is not actually what happens. And several economists, I believe one was from Princeton, I think his name was Card, actually proved they compared fast food places, I think it was in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, when I think Jersey raised their minimum wage, there was no unemployment, you know? There were other studies too. But before that study, everyone said, oh yeah, even progressive ones, if you raise the minimum wage, you're going to lower the amount of people with jobs, you know? So that's one. The next one I think you're talking about is, oh yeah, sure. Let's give everyone $50 an hour, Keith. You know, sure. Let's just raise, why don't we, Hey, why don't we just give uh, you know, a hundred is why we're talking about it. You know, geez, what the heck, you know? Well, hold on. In the world, there are many McDonald's, right? So here, the average wage is probably like 10 bucks an hour because so many states are not at 15, right? Yeah. Most states are still at 725. Okay. So they always said, yeah, sure. We'll raise it. We'll raise it to 15. And then what you're going to see is the cost of your Big Mac is going to be five, 10 bucks an hour, Keith. Sure. Go ahead and do it. Okay. Well, explain this, Mr. Capitalist. In Denmark, workers get... 20, I believe it's 22 or $24 an hour now in fast food restaurants. Okay. They have a pension. They have health care. They have six weeks. I think it's six weeks uh, paid vacation or time off altogether, you know, sick days, everything. So how come, and, and you know what a, you know what a Whopper costs in Copenhagen? It's 25 cents more. So 
you're saying <laughs> because of a quarter, we're going to keep everybody at the poverty level. It just doesn't make sense. You know? So it's all about keeping more money for themselves. Right. Exactly. That's it's all not about reducing the cost right. of the price to the consumer. Right. It's about keeping their profits in. That's right. And they saying. make so much money off of other things besides that burger anyway. I mean, like a lot of people say they make a lot of their money off of their real estate, you know, cause I mean, they own so much land in the country. It's like, you know, Sears used to make more money off their real estate, nursing homes, you know, there are so many ways for employers in the private sector to make money that the cost of that burger is not going to go Wait, up. Come on. How does McDonald's make money off of real estate? Because they own so much land. They're renting it. They, I mean, they own they- it. You know, they make money off of the ownership of the land or they sell it to other people. Oh, okay. So you know, they, the land. just like nursing homes do it too. They all sell the nursing homes to, you know. I see. So they make their make money. money. When you, when owning land is only, you only make money off of owning land if you sell it or you only make money off of owning land if you uh, rent it. You follow mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Okay. Right. Uh, all right. So. But there are, I'm not, again, I'm not an economist, but there are other ways you make money off land. I don't understand all of it, but that's what I've been told by some of our researchers that actually they make a lot of money off of other parts of their. No, the, the person is not an economist who could teach you this is an accountant. Someone who right. knows tax law. That's, mm-hmm. you, need, you know, they got squadrons of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. All right. Uh, so I will look, we all know it's a scam. Right. We all know it. And uh, at the back of his mind, uh, Jim Cramer must know it as well. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he believes what he's saying. Because it's that fiction that keeps it all together, right? It keeps the, that keeps the whole system together, right? Oh, sure. Just give everyone, you know. <laughs> it's so like, Keith, here's look look what happened when we had the COVID. Everybody was getting unemployment at $600 yeah. more a week. Did you see the economy go? Did you see it? You know? Nope. Nope. Did you see it? And that was one of the reasons they, I, I believe that they, the Republicans wanted to cut it off, right? Is because they saw that it was too successful. That is actually working. That you didn't have to have everybody at you know seven twenty-five an hour. Yeah. Right? That you could pay people at at least fifteen. I actually think now we should change it from fight for fifteen to fight for fifty thousand. <laughs> fight for fifty k. Should have started with fight for fifty thousand. I'm going to give that. Although I'm going to give the credit where the credit is due. Oh, Just like God. my partner. Madeline Talbot came up with the slogan fight for 15. She also told me our new slogan should be fight for 15. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to say this. Madeline Talbot is one of the smartest people I know and Mm -hmm. one of the most uh, modest people I know. So she's never going to take credit for anything, but Mm -hmm. this brain on this woman is responsible for so much progressive legislation. She won't take credit. She'll be like, no, it wasn't me. It was this one. It was that one. Everybody down the line will get the credit, but I, it doesn't matter. I know. So I know that's, well, that's all I got to say. But also that. like every good organizer it isn't, I mean, it's just like with, you know, the media, not, not to offend your, your profession, Ben, your profession always yeah. wants to key in on the one person like Christian Smalls, right? Yeah, is like the person now look in history, you know, Cesar Chavez, you know, well, it isn't, if you were honest and just, I think that's what Madeline's saying. And I know that's what I say is that it wasn't just me. It was, you know, it was the workers who were, you know, taking the risks and actually doing the actions and actually doing the demonstrations and actually walking off the job and actually, um, 
standing up to their employer in an NLRB election. You know, that's, they're the ones who actually take the, take the heat. Yeah. And they're the ones who bring it through. So I know what you mean, but But also, you know what I mean. You know, know we're not going to have, we're, we're not going to go down this path because okay. that will quickly get to uh, organizers who okay. won't talk in the record, okay, which is yeah. a, such a pet peeve of mine. You don't want to <laughs> hear it. Uh, okay. Better, no, don't talk in the record. Talk to Billy Bob here. So at Amazon. Uh, all right. Let's so. The, and Star, Starbucks, for that matter, they have said, we're, we think there's been violations of this um, laboratory conditions. Yeah. So we're going to now, and I could see them do anything, just like the home care and other folks use these legal arguments that were just BS, right? I would, I could see, you know, Starbucks, just like they have already. They say, well, you can't have an election in just one Starbucks. You have to organize every Starbucks in the United States, right? Or uh, the fast food places did this to us too. We were able to prove that actually, no, that actually in most of these places, that local supervisor is actually who runs that place. Even though, yes, there's standard wages sometimes, but who gives the hours? Who can give you a raise? Who? Do, it's that local supervisor, maybe two or three Starbucks, right? Yeah. Same thing at Amazon. They're going to go in and say, well, you have to get everyone, well, maybe not all of them in the United States, maybe all the Amazons in New York City, or maybe all the Amazons in the East Coast. So they're going to try anything that they can to delay and delay and delay and try to say that and, and go to the, the U.S. Supreme Court, probably, you know, oh, uh, again, unless the workers keep fighting like they have been. Right. Which is organizing on the job, going after Bezos, going after the corporation, showing how much money they are really making and, uh, and how much uh, damage uh, they are doing, not only to their workers, uh, but to the U.S. economy. Yeah. So that's, I think, what you have to do is you have to keep going at the company and using every legal, direct action, other tactic that you can use to keep the pressure on the company until they say, as I used to say, as I think was it, someone said that the British in India, that one of the reasons they won, the Gandhi and his movement won in India, was that the British lost the will to rule. So until you put so much pressure on the employer that they lose the will to rule. A lot of people said this happened during the farm worker boycotts, that they the employers saw that nobody wanted their grapes anymore. And they lost that will to fight the union and came around. I mean, some of the smarter business people came around and said, yeah, we're gonna recognize the union, right? Some There's always some who are never going to do that, right? But in almost every case, you're going to win, you know, just like they won money when they actually didn't have a union contract that said they won. Oh, yeah. No, I saw that. Yeah. They raised the salaries. You know, everyone, Starbucks, boom, they raised the money. (laughs) That's amazing. Amazon, boom, they raised the money. That's what I always say to workers. You're definitely going to get a raise. <laughs> no, that, that, and then it'll come back to you. Uh, the money you spend up front to avoid something you don't want right. to uh, spend in the back end. All right. We've run out of time. We could go oh. on and on about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Keith Kelleher really uh, knows his labor law and labor history. Uh, so we're going to bring him back. Uh, he, he, we, I just gave him a job uh, unpaid. 
job as the Ben Jarofsky Show's labor expert. Uh, so every every now and then he's going to come Do back. Do I get a hat or something? Do I get uh, a <laughs> I'll get you a Bulls hat. All right. A t-shirt. A a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, Keith, thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. It's going to the Supremes. So we'll Mm -hmm. have a lot to talk about in the future. All right. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, that's a great Keith Kelleher. I want to thank him very much. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, pride of Joy Bolton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Keith Kelleher, Madeline Tablet, Jeff Bezos, and Howard Schultz will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 